Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of the Bulletproof Entrepreneurial Podcast. Now, have you ever been in a situation where you have your sales presentation, everything is right and tight, you know your product cold, you've researched your potential customer, you've gone in, you've made a good presentation, and guess what? Even though you've tried to overcome every objection you've thought about, the customer still didn't buy. Well, a lot of people have faced the same challenges, and it's really been stymieing a lot of corporate executives. My guest today is here to tell us a little bit more about what's happening in sales and how salespeople, business development people, and marketers can start to change and adjust in order to start seeing the successes that they used to see. So with that said, I want to introduce Martin Lewis. He's been in the sales game for over four decades. He started out in IT. He switched over to corporate sales, and then for the past 20 years or so, he's been running his own business. He is the author of the new book titled, How Customers Buy and Why They Don't. You can also call the book, The Buying Journey DNA. I'm pleased to have Martin on the show today to tell us a little bit about himself, his experiences in businesses, his research and development into figuring out what has changed in the buying journey and how he has helped over 900 organizations to overcome the gap that they had in terms of their sales lag to start seeing dramatic results in their processes. So with that said, Martin, welcome to the show. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome, Martin. So I alluded earlier that you started out in IT and now you're the CEO of your own sales firm and you're a trainer, consultant, international speaker. But before you became who you are today, you know, tell us a little bit about your journey to to where you got to today. How did you get started in business? How did you get started in entrepreneurship and anything else you want to share along those lines? Anything else? Yeah, anything else. <laughs> but you did say along those lines, so we'll, we'll keep it along those lines. Well, it's an interesting uh, journey. I started off in the UK, and you may hear a faint accent there, but um, I started in the UK, and that's when I was uh, essentially in IT, and I was what was called a systems engineer, and I was working along salespeople, helping salespeople understand the customer situations, helping salespeople put their proposals together, and then hopefully closed business. And I, in fact, in many ways, I was then responsible for delivering that business. So I was working with sales teams every day. And then I, I moved to Canada. I moved to Canada yeah. uh, back in 1981. I thought Canada was a terrific country, and I'm proudly Canadian still today. Um, and a coincident with that move, I kind of thought that I needed to get more business experience, that being a, a techie systems engineer was great. But um, I, I needed to get some business skills on my resume, and I thought probably no better way to do that than become a salesperson mm-hmm. and then a sales manager and manage a business. And uh, I, I thought that this was going to be a breeze. And this is back in '81 uh, in Canada, in Ottawa. Um, I, I, I thought that I'd been working on sales with salespeople for a few years. I've seen what they do. They wear nice suits. They drive nice cars. They take customers out for lunches and dinners, and that seemed about it to me. <laughs> um, so I, I joined a company called Digital Equipment, which at that time was the second largest computer company in the world, and um, became a frontline salesperson. And the interesting thing is that I learned so much in like the first few weeks. Um, that I was on quota. I had my my 
customers and I had some cold calling activities to do. And I was in the spin cycle. I had no idea what goes on in sales. Mm. I really did not. And I can tell you the first six months I was in sales, it's the toughest of my entire career. Mm. I'd been very successful up to that point, And all of a sudden, I didn't know which way to move. Well, I was totally befuddled by that first few months in sales. But fortunately, I was lucky enough to work with some people that I think are some of the finest salespeople still that I've ever met and kind of decode what salespeople do and understand what's really going on. And uh, I kind of unlocked how to be successful as a salesperson. But it took me six months to do that mm-hmm. and to really understand which way was up. I was just amazed by all that came across my desk. I was amazed by all I had to do. I was amazed by how good the competition was. I, you know, when I, when I was supporting salespeople, I thought we had the best product in the world mm-hmm. and that uh, only a fool would buy from the competition. Mm-hmm. And then when I was in sales – I realized that the competition was far better than I had previously thought. And to the customer, there's not a lot of difference. And that was kind of a real wake-up call. Mm. So I was lucky enough to decode sales, become successful, and then I succeeded in getting my business experience. I worked for a number of years in frontline sales and sales management. Then vice president of sales, I then moved into vice president of marketing for a billion-dollar company. And then vice president of sales and marketing, and then finally um, a CEO, uh, where I had 700 salespeople working for me. So that brings me up to running my own company. Nice, nice. Now, there's one thing you mentioned there, which I know a lot of business people and entrepreneurs fall into the trap often, which is they create a product and they fall in love with that product and think that just because this product is a better mousetrap, I just need to tell the potential customers a better mousetrap and they have no choice but to buy. Now, you said, you know, people say, oh, you'd be a fool not to buy. But even till today, people still fall into that trap. So how does that passion for your product end up being the worst enemy when it comes to sales? Well, we call that the entrepreneur's dilemma. You know, as an entrepreneur, you've got to be passionate about your product. Um, I see it in people that have just started business. I see it in, in people that have got an established business. And I, I see it uh, in, in Fortune 50 companies. People are very, very passionate about their product. Mm-hmm. But of course they are. Who would want to work for a company where you kind of, you're not that excited about your product? So um, it, it's, it's kind of natural to be passionate about your product. However, you can't allow that to cause you to have myopia mm-hmm. in terms of what's happening in the marketplace. Um, you, you said it that uh, one of the things that we, we see, and I mentioned it earlier, only a fool wouldn't buy this. The belief that your product, um, if you can just get a prospect to be aware, educated about your product, so they really understand how great it is, how it will enable them to do something faster, quicker, better, then only a fool wouldn't buy And that is what the book really is about. And that is what really turned my thinking about sales and marketing. When you realize that customers don't buy rationally, they don't Mm. buy logically, or it appears they don't buy logically, that you can put something in front of them that will enable them to do something faster, quicker, cheaper, better, which would seem to be like offering them $20 for an $8 investment, Mm -hmm. and yet they don't buy. It happens every day. Mm. So so jumping off of that, 
why 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 is it that the logical does not appeal to a customer and it's more of i guess the emotional what's what's happening there in the mind of the customer well that 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 was my wake up call when i started my own company about uh, just a little over 20 years ago um, you're detached. I work with my clients, but I, I kind of had the benefit of being able to talk to their customers or their prospects. And it was really interesting to work with. And I particularly remember one company about 15 years ago had a great offering in the medical market space. And without doubt, if hospitals bought their services, they would save money. There was no up, upfront commitment. If they weren't able to save you money, you, you paid nothing. Mm. So, it was a no-brainer. I remember the CFO saying, what's wrong with my salespeople? That it, this is a no-brainer. So we had that ability to go and talk to their prospects, to go and talk to their customers. So we asked the, the hospitals, we asked the CFOs of hospitals, do you believe that this service is going to save you money? And they said, yes. And we said, do you believe the service is going to uh, save toxic waste? And they said, yes. So you go, well, wait a minute. If you believe this is going to save you money, why aren't you buying? And that unfolded and unlocked a mystery to me. Because when I heard what they said, they said, well, first of all, this isn't the only way for us to save money. There are people knocking on our door every day mm. with offers to save us money. Mm. We don't have time to go through them all. And then with regard to this particular offering, it was somewhat new. And they were saying, well, you know, we're going to have to assess that because it's not as easy as it looks. Mm -hmm. Our computer systems will have to be changed. We'd have to train people differently. We're going to have to change some of the workflow in our operating rooms. Uh, we've got to look at the liability issues if we go with this. And all of a sudden you go, wow, that the company were blind to that. That was that myopia that was caused because we were bringing such a great service to the marketplace. The only a fool wouldn't buy it. And then you go off and you find out, there's all these reasons why people, know, they understand that you're offering them the ability to save money, but there's all these reasons that are stopping them. Mm. That, that, and, and number one is there's lots of other things they're doing. They're very busy. Mm -hmm. So would they stop? So it was a really interesting thing, and that was really eye-opening to, to me to discover that in that situation and in so many we see, customers understand the product. They understand the value, but there are other things that they're getting stuck up on. And if the entrepreneur knows that, and often they do know, they tend to trivialize it. They mm. say, yeah, but it will only take a few minutes to train people. Yeah. But when you're a hospital and you're looking at training maybe 200 people, mm. uh, that's not trivial. So that we see that same pattern over and over again, that there's things that stop people from buying mm -hmm. and that the entrepreneur either trivializes or ignores that. Mm -hmm. And yet it's the, the most important thing. And if you understand it, you then see that customers are actually buying logically. It appears that they aren't because it appears you're putting a great offer in front of them. Mm -hmm. They're only a fool wouldn't buy. But when you unwrap it you, and you look at it from their perspective with everything else that's going on in their world, you go, ah, so that's why they're not buying. Mm. So that means for a salesperson to be effective or a business developer to be effective, they have to consider all those things that are stopping the customer from buying and then factor out how to solve that pro problem. So it yes. makes it easy for the person to buy. You are so right. 
And that, I think, is the formula for success today. Now, here's the good news. Here's mm-hmm. the good news that we believe in a particular market, people get people buy in remarkably similar ways. They get hung up on similar things. Mm. So it wasn't just that one hospital that was having those concerns. Every hospital they were selling to were having very similar concerns. So it's not like every one of your prospects is going to be different. No, they're all working in similar worlds, in similar situations, and they're going to buy in a remarkably similar way. If that isn't the case, you're looking at more than one market. And you've got to understand that that's different markets, and you've got to look at how you address those different markets in different ways. Mm. But for a particular market, they're going to get hung up on the same thing. So you said it. If you understand what they're going to get hung up on, we call it the buying concerns. If you understand what the buying concerns are for a market, then your job is to mitigate and address those buying concerns. Okay, okay. So now you've talked about a product that is physical, it's tangible, you can see it, you can implement it, you can hook it up to the network. Now, a lot of entrepreneurs, they they sell intangible. So take, for example, if you're an entrepreneur selling maybe insurance products, for example, or you're in the nonprofit space and you're trying to raise donations, how can this understanding this new buying journey help such a person because a lot of times people think okay if, if i if i present my cause and you know what people know that this is a problem that they need to come and rally around and support us to to solve this problem it's, it's going to be easy but at the same time you know i i from what you're telling me i can see that this buying journey process is still going to affect this decision absolutely it doesn't matter what you're buying it doesn't matter what you're selling this approach uh, is is the way to look at things in today's world. So take those examples of somebody selling a service. So maybe you're selling insurance. I'll I'll take the one that that you you spun out there. You're selling insurance, maybe small business insurance, life insurance, whatever it may be, uh, property insurance. Um, We have looked at that market, and it's really interesting because people can believe that you can offer them better coverage. Maybe they believe that you can offer them better coverage at a lower cost. So why don't they buy? There it is. So, so they believe that you can offer superior service, you can offer a uh, superior offering, maybe at a lower cost, and yet they don't buy. You know why they don't buy? It's because they don't want to fire their existing insurance broker. Wow. And that is a fact. Uh, we've looked at this market and the biggest thing people get hung up on, even if they know you are bringing a better service to them, they don't want to go fire their existing broker because they may have known that broker for years. Mm. They may be in the same rotary club, golf club. They may be in the same social circle. That person may have been a friend for years or sold insurance to their father, their brother. There's usually a bond or connection there mm. and they don't want to go to that person and say, I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to switch. Even if that person isn't providing them a great service, they don't want to fire them. That's where people are getting stuck up. Now, that's not the only place, but it's such a great example. So what have you got to do? You've got to ensure that you give that person the means, the ability to break the relationship with their existing broker in a uh, friendly way. You've got to either write the email for them or you've got to give them a reason that they can go to a broker that they know and say, hey, I'm going to switch services because this insurance company is going to offer me this, this, and this that you can't. Whatever it may be, 
but that's what you've got to address. Mm. Continuing to to hammer on about how you can offer a better service, a cheaper service or whatever, doesn't address the problem. Mm. The problem is them firing their existing provider. Mm. Awesome, awesome. And I know we're a little bit short of time, so I want to skip ahead a little bit. I was able to briefly go through your book and you know what? It, it, it was really engaging and interesting to read, especially when I came across the uh, two case studies in chapter 10 and 11, especially the one with the glove, because it, yes. show, it showed so much uh, steps and processes in just that decision for the hospital to switch the gloves, something that we patients just take for granted. And I know the hospital personnel take for granted too, because I have a lot of friends that are doctors, but looking at the whole process involved in trying to change just a simple glove that will help them reduce uh, hospital-acquired infections by so much took a long process and you mentioned listed out in your book that you know what mapping the customer journey goes from uh six stages so from the triggers all the way to addressing the concerns now i want you to um as quickly as you can talk about how an entrepreneur can engage their target market in a right way once they've mapped out the customer journey appropriately in order to be able to start uh, seeing traction in their sales. Absolutely. Well, you said it again, that, that the first thing is map out the customer's buying journey. Really understand, put yourself in the customer's shoes, really understand what's going on, how they're going to buy. Not why they buy, but how they're going to buy. Mm. And again, coming right off what you, you said, you look at who's going to get involved, when they get involved, how they're going to make their decisions, what are they going to do? And you map that out, literally and metaphorically, you put that on the wall. And uh, we obviously do that by talking to people. I encourage people to go talk to customers in your marketplace. Mm -hmm. um, we provide that DNA that you referred to, a way of mapping the buying journey. So you map out the buying journey. Then to answer your question, then what do you do? You look at how do I meaningfully engage in that, that buying journey? How do I start that buying journey? So how, how do I go out there and actually start a customer who maybe isn't in a buying journey? How do I get them into a buying journey? Not how do I entertain them or how do I educate them, but how do I actually get them in a buying journey? The difference between window shopping and actually buying. Mm -hmm. So how do I get them to even start buying? And then how do I manage everything that's going to happen in their buying journey? Yep. How do I flatten that friction? How do I get rid of the obstacles? And then you manage, you, you develop a strategy that's going to manage a customer through their buying journey, where that buying journey is an hour long or weeks or months, doesn't matter. Mm. The point is we're going to manage the customer through that buying journey. We're going to ensure the value is there that motivates them to keep going. And very importantly, as we've talked about, we're going to try and reduce the friction that would stop them otherwise. Oh, awesome, awesome. And piggybacking off of the managing the buying journey, one thing I really liked is the chapter on think, taking an outside-in selling approach. Now, could you expand on that a little bit as it leads towards, you know, boosting up your revenue targets when you take an outside-in approach? to selling absolutely and, and thanks for picking up on that and we we call this the outside in approach because the inside out is when you focus on your product you focus on whether it's a tangible product or service you focus on that and you focus on how do i tell the world about this how do i uh, get the world to buy this that's where you start inside the company and you're pushing out 
the outside-in approach is starting with the customer, mm. starting with the customer and their buying journey, understanding what it is that would trigger them, why this is why this could be important to them, why this would be a priority for them, mm-hmm. what what buying concerns could come up. So you look at the buying journey, and then you bring that and you develop your strategy based on how the market's going to buy. So that's kind of starting outside and coming in. So that's why we call it the outside-in approach. Awesome, awesome. Now, Martin, as we start to wind down the show, one thing that is always at the back of salespeople's mind is, you know, they're always in a cycle of feast or famine, especially when economic cycle go boom and bust. You know, when it's booming, everybody's making money. When it busts, everybody's uh, frantic. They're, (laughs) They're trying to sell all they can and they're not getting traction. So tell us a little bit about, you know, when things are difficult, especially in the marketplace, and it's due to no fault of your own. It's just a systemic everything that has gone bad has gone bad. So tell us a little bit about how salespeople can succeed in difficult situations. It's a great question, of course. Um, I'm a very firm believer that you succeed in difficult times like you succeed in good times. But good times, or, or as they say, all, all ships rise on an incoming tide. Mm-hmm. So when times are good, you can get away with sloppy sales and marketing. Mm. And if you've got sloppy sales and marketing, if you haven't understood how the customer is buying, why they would not, uh, but just the economy is good for you, then when times turn rough, the fact that you're not selling in a robust way is exposed. Mm. So I really think that, for instance, right now in the U.S., we're, we're experiencing a very long run of healthy economic times. Now is the time to prepare for the downturn. Now is the time to really look at what you're doing. Why is it working? Why might it not work? Now is the time to put those robust processes in place. And then when the times do come, when, as you say, it goes to the uh, famine, then I I believe that, that you will be successful based on that. So I'm a very big believer in using the feasting times to prepare for the famine times. Um, and, the secret of success, I really, really believe, uh, is really understanding how that market buys, why they don't, and putting a robust strategy in place to really engage in that marketplace in a meaningful way. Okay. My final question before I let you go, Martin, is looking back on your career thus far, you spent 40 years in, in over 40 years in business. You've, you've spent the bulk of your time in sales now. You've seen everything for somebody still struggling to build their book of business, and, and I'm talking about a young salesperson here, a young business developer, what are some key steps or some actionable steps they can take to start improving their their systems and their processes so that they can start seeing results in as little as um, 60 days? Okay. I, I, I can probably offer some advice where you can see results quicker than that. Okay. So as a salesperson, your most value commodity is time. Where do you spend your time? I know very few salespeople, the likes of which you describe, that have got more time than they need. They're not hanging around on a Thursday afternoon wondering what to do. Their time is used. So the real secret is how do you spend your time? Are you investing your time in the right way? Mm. If I look at the customer buying journey, if I say that, and a very big point here is, Um, 
the only way to make a sale is for a customer to buy something. Mm -hmm. You're not selling it. You can be selling hard and well, but unless the customer's buying, nothing's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So it's really all about that outside-in approach. It's all about looking at the customer buying. And there's only four things that we can do to influence how a customer buys. So my advice to any salesperson in that situation that you describe is to look at everything they do every day, where they invest in their time, and does it meet one of these four things? And there are only four things that you want to focus on. Number one is to take a customer that's not in a buying journey and get them into a buying journey. Mm -hmm. So a customer that was not thinking of buying from you, get them at least to a point where they are considering buying from you. They've started a buying journey. Okay. Then once they're in a buying journey, there's only three things you can do. You increase the probability that they will complete their buying journey buying from you. So they will do whatever they have to do to complete the buying journey and buy from you. The next one is how can you make them do that quicker? How can you get them through the buying journey faster, reducing friction, whatever it is? And then the third one is how can you get them to spend more? Mm. How can you increase the amount they're going to spend? So for that salesperson working hard in the trenches, look at everything you're doing. How are you spending your time and every activity? Which one of those four things are you impacting? Because if you're not getting a customer into a buying journey, increasing the probability they'll complete their buying journey with buying from you, increasing the speed of the buying journey, or increasing the spend, you are wasting your time. Awesome, 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 actionable advice that you can implement to see sales improvement in less than 60 days. So, Martin, thanks for coming on the show to share your story and your words of wisdom. But before I let you go, tell us a little bit more about where people can find you, reach out to you, and, of course, access or get a copy of the book. Absolutely. Thank you. Yes. The website, uh, buyingjourneydna.com. That's one word, buyingjourneydna.com. Uh, that's a website dedicated to the book and the premise behind the book. So from there, it's only one click away to buy how customers buy and why they don't. It's also available on Amazon and other, other websites. But Buying Journey DNA brings you to the book, brings you to more information about the book, and there's a contact us, and that, that comes directly to me. Uh, we've got blogs, other information there, so I encourage people to take a look at buyingjourneydna.com. Awesome. And are you active on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, you can Instagram? absolutely find me on, on LinkedIn. Um, I'm, I have a presence on the other, but the LinkedIn is, is the main one. That's Martin Lewis and my email. Well, it's on buyingjourneydna.com, but M Lewis, one word, M L E W I S at market partners.com. And I really encourage people to connect with me. I love hearing what's working, what isn't, um, love staying in touch with people. Awesome, awesome. And I'll be able to, I'll be sure to put that in the show notes once this episode is edited and ready to go live. So Martin, thanks for coming on to share your story and your words of wisdom. I truly appreciate you taking the time and we'll see you guys next time on the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast.